When it comes to applying blockchain to the supply chain, how much is reality and how much is hype? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Each week seems to bring a new announcement of some distributor, manufacturer, or raw material supplier employing a blockchain to track product or log key transactions all along the supply chain. We've come a long way in a few short years, from blockchain being tied exclusively to the buying and selling of cryptocurrency to emerging as a valuable tool for recording any manner of business activity. The idea of a distributed ledger existing on thousands or even millions of computers so as to make it impossible to tamper with the data, it's a powerful one. But innovative ideas take time to take hold, and every new technology passes through a period of hype and overselling. So where are we today on that spectrum with blockchain in the supply chain? Today, we get a perspective from John Monarch, CEO of ShipChain. We'll learn how far this technology has really come, what's needed for it to become truly pervasive, and, for that matter, what it's all about in the first place. So here is my conversation with John Monarch. John Monarch, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be talking about blockchain and the supply chain today. And I want to first of all ask you how you think blockchain can be of value in the era of COVID-19. I think that one of the keys here is to have that visibility. And because we're finding a lot of issues with not knowing where critical materials are at the time or where they're coming in at or just general information about these shipments that are so time sensitive, Being able to provide that information and being able to provide certifications that are trustworthy, as well as being able to provide further information about the shipment in a much more smooth and fluid way is really something that we're seeing is critical right now. And I think that blockchain really will have a strong use case for that as well. We're already talking about blockchain like it's a thing, you know, like it's a common practice and it's in great use. Because what I hear with a lot of companies, it's still at the pilot stage. Are you talking about blockchain as as an up and running mature technology? Oh, it's definitely not mature, but it is up and running. And we see several companies that have moved past just the pilot phase of the proof of concept. But the supply chain industry, as we know it with technology, moves a bit slower. And that's not a problem. It's just uh, everyone wants to see that the technology has been validated first. In 2017, when we really started seeing blockchain and supply chain discussions become a, a much bigger thing. There was a lot of excitement about it. You'd go to conferences and you couldn't really avoid, it was nothing but that really. Then in 2018, you'd go to the same conferences and when blockchain was mentioned, you'd see more eye rolls than anything because it had been overhyped and people hadn't really found a good fit in their supply chains for it. Now, as we move forward, people have found where it's a good fit, what it's good for, and they're still piloting in many cases, I would say. But we are finding a good product market fit for it at this point, and it's where there's many parties involved and really not a lot of trust and not a lot of visibility. Another advantage to keep hearing about blockchain is its ability to prevent fraud in the supply chain, counterfeit items and the like, which I guess also comes in pretty handy during this pandemic when the authenticity of product is so important. 
Exactly. And being able to store information about the product itself that's unique, that cannot be duplicated in combination with various different types of hardware that would be a part of it. So for instance, it's a lot easier for more expensive or luxury goods or automotive parts or high-end, anything that's more expensive to be able to have that hardware built into it that provides a unique code that can be stored on the blockchain and checked against it. So Mm -hmm. That's one method that we've seen. There's also just general data that can be imprinted on a, be it a, a mask or something along those lines to be able to check against that kind of perpetual ledger that can't be changed or altered in any way. And we like to use the word immutable, but it really is that. You can provide certifications of something on chain that show something is true. What kind of blockchain are we talking about? There are multiple kinds, which leads a little bit to the confusion. Private blockchain, public blockchain. What exactly are we referring to here? Well, we saw a lot of tests and pilots initially on private chains because a lot of corporations were very hesitant to get on board with public. And they were worried about the idea that when a public blockchain is out there, we've heard the joke that it's like a nude beach, essentially, because Mm -hmm. you're just out there. Your data is there forever. And we've had to educate a lot of companies on the fact that just because it's a public blockchain doesn't mean that your data has to be public necessarily. And there's a lot of methods around that right now. And we're seeing corporations start to move towards public mainnets, especially Ethereum. Ethereum has really picked up the most use case for that, along with uh, different layer two scaling solutions for Ethereum. We're seeing, for instance, there's a group called the Baseline Protocol that we at ShipChain are a part of that's working to integrate all these different ERP systems and be able to what they're calling baseline it across the Ethereum mainnet. Along with that, being able to intake and understand EDI information and put it across the blockchain. So that way you have a single layer that everyone can agree on effectively, rather than having Coca-Cola blockchain versus Google blockchain versus Dr. Pepper blockchain and all those that are just different systems that don't really talk to each other because that creates the same problem that we already had. And it really doesn't solve anything at that point. We need blockchain to be that single layer that we can all agree on. Do you think that a public blockchain addresses, if not solves, the issues of the need for standards in blockchain? I think it facilitates them. So you still have to have data intake that people and companies can understand. And Blockchain is like any other system. If you put garbage in, you get garbage out. It's not going to be the thing to fix that, but it does make it easier to communicate across it. So that way, data from one ERP to another can be agreed upon with a single layer underneath it. So that way, we can use those standards and have a standard layer with it. Now, blockchain has been described as a distributed ledger, but help me understand exactly what that means in the context of what we're talking about here. A public blockchain that is related to supply chains In other words, like literally, how many computers is the record distributed over? I mean, how many users are participants in a typical blockchain if such a thing can be said to exist? Well, on Ethereum specifically, it it could be millions. I mean, I, I don't have an exact count of how many nodes are participating, but basically any computer or any company or anyone that wants to store a copy of the entire ledger can. And that's important because it's what we call permissionless. So, for instance, when you're in a private blockchain, I have to go to whoever hosts it, whoever the administrator is, and essentially ask permission to join. Now, there's issues with that because let's say it's a maritime-focused one. There could be antitrust issues that pop up because of that. Now, in a public chain or a public environment like that, there's really no way that antitrust can become a problem 
because it is so permissionless. Anyone can exit and anyone can join at any time that they choose. But you talk about the nodes that it resides on. It can get up into the millions. But again, just to drill down to the idea of supply chain, I imagine it'll go on many more computers than are actually parties to the transaction being recorded on the blockchain. Obviously, what is the incentive to a particular party or computer to be a node in a blockchain of this kind? Well, in public blockchains, it's an economic incentive, but also a trust incentive. Public chains like Ethereum right now have miners similar to Bitcoin where they're paid to validate those transactions. As it moves forward, any node that participates in what they're moving towards is called proof of stake. And this gets a little bit into the weeds on technology and just kind of the mechanisms that everyone agrees upon. But any node that sets up, and this will be a low-cost computing system that any company or any even home user could set up at their house, will be able to get paid to participate in validating the network. So not only is it an incentive to keep all of that data truthfully, it's an incentive to get paid to host it as well. To get paid what, in the form of a coin of some kind or actual cash or products? or I mean, what, what is the compensation? Cryptocurrency currently. Some of that is, is considered security and some of it is not, which I guess, boy, we could really get into the weeds here if we talk about the different types of coins or tokens out there. But that also is a little bit confusing, but I guess it could take other form, right? It could. And there's a, there's a movement for stable coins, of course, which are pegged to the U.S. dollar. Ethereum right now pays in Ether, which has undergone all of the checks and everything. And people are very much in agreement on how it works. And it's, it's very, st I wouldn't say price stable, but it is generally agreed upon as being one of the more stable ones out there. But it is that economic incentive that helps keep it running, because why else would you use that electricity, that computing power, all of that to run this other than just the fact that you want to keep a copy of the ledger. Excuse me for taking you back to Blockchain 101, but I have to ask this question because I just sometimes wonder, in the context of supply chain, what exactly constitutes a block? Is it a single piece of data? Is it a single transaction? Is it a series of transactions that reside in a single block? What would be a, a block in a supply chain blockchain? Well, it would be the same as basically any other blockchain. It would be a group of transactions that are put into one block and then validated by the network. So in mm -hmm. supply chain specifically, that could be anything from document transmission to GPS location posting to a transfer of goods. And those would all be transactions technically. So anything that actually occurs on chain is technically a transaction at that point. So as you say, a single group of transactions can constitute one block, maybe because they're, they're close to each other in time or related in some way that makes them occupy a single block of, of data. Exactly. Right. So on Ethereum, on the public mainnet, every block is 10 seconds or so, 10 to 30 seconds. It varies based on the network congestion. On Bitcoin, it's 10 minutes or so. On side chains like we're developing, we're actually doing blocks every one and a half seconds. And that doesn't necessarily imply more speed necessarily. And it can help. It just allows for more data to be put into different parts of the chain. We have heard about delays in getting data onto the blockchain. Is that still an issue? It depends on network congestion, basically. So it's like any other internet connection. Uh, if a lot of people are using it at that time, then it can be a little bit challenging. And there are solutions that are being built to that. And one of those is what we're doing, and that's called a sidechain, where it's basically another blockchain that is pegged to Ethereum, but we're focused on supply chain transactions exclusively. So that way, we're not going to have people building games on top of it. We're not going to have people doing trading on top of that. It's focused exclusively on people developing for supply chain. 
So that way we're able to not have any of the issues that come with the public Ethereum layer that has games and other things running on top of it. There's also much more complex ones called zero-knowledge roll-ups and all kinds of other Layer 2 scaling technologies that are pushing everything to well over a 1,000 transactions a second now. Now, you have said not one size fits all when it comes to blockchain for the supply chain. When doesn't it fit, or what are some of the variables that would determine customizing or differences in types of blockchains in the supply chain that makes you say that? Well, I think it's more of what do you need to put on blockchain, and For when blockchain is used, we think that it's important to have a single layer there that everyone kind of agrees upon and trusts. So that's not necessarily using private chains or having different ones that are disparate throughout all these different systems. We think that there should be a mainnet layer, but at the same time, not everything needs to go on chain. We tried to initially in 2017, everyone was looking at how much can we shove onto a blockchain? Can we put full documents on there? And that's just a waste of time. It's a waste of money and it's a waste of effort. Now, what is good for blockchain is being able to prove ownership, being able to show document notarization effectively, transferring value, and just being able to prove something that you might want to have hold up in a court of law. And we're seeing that a lot of legal jurisdictions right now are accepting blockchain transactions as almost as good or as good as a a notary stamp because it can't be changed at all. Technically, it's more secure. A notary stamp can be faked, but the stamp on a blockchain, you can still identify it as long as whoever has stamped it has their identity basically out there. So that way we're seeing that it's very effective in that case. And what is interesting to see is that for a while, everyone wanted to see the blockchain stuff. They wanted to see the technical pieces, but now it's you really don't need to see it unless you absolutely have to if you're in supply chain. We hear plenty of stories about companies for which blockchain is a perfect fit, but are there other companies, whether because of size or industry or lack of complexity in supply chain or whatever, are there other companies that aren't a fit for blockchain that don't need the technology? I'd say that it's useful to have for most companies, especially in supply chain, I'd say that there's just that level of being able to have some extra trust in there. Not everyone is suited to build on it. Not everyone needs to build brand new systems or anything like that. So what we'll see is a lot of software built on top of it that the actual end customer never really sees and never even has to realize that it's blockchain. That's more of what you'll see than something just not being a fit, I would say. Do you worry at all that blockchain is still tied very much to the concept of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, which for all of their excitement and value up to this point, their validity has not been 100% proven in the long term. And I'm wondering if you think that blockchain needs to be divorced from cryptocurrency and the way we think about this technology or whether that's not a problem to you. I honestly don't see it as a problem because you have to have on public blockchains at least some way of preventing bad actors. And like with any database, you have to prevent hackers, you have to prevent all of these different issues that come up from it, overuse. And the way that public blockchains do that, at least, is through having a cost. It makes it expensive to try and spam the network, for instance. So that's a protective measure, and I don't see it really as too much of an issue. I think it's just moving past the stigma of cryptocurrencies. And as far as you can see, we, you mentioned the word immutable in terms of the integrity of the ledger on the blockchain. As far as you can see, you have not seen any successful attempts to hack a blockchain or to do anything of that sort that undermines the security and the reliability and the validity of it? Uh, not on Ethereum especially. Now, what we've seen is poorly coded smart contracts on top of it that have had issues and led to loss or hack. 
Now, mm-hmm. that's not the blockchain itself, however. So it really comes down to, are you writing good software? Are you doing proper reviews? Are you issuing updates as necessary? And on a blockchain, even though it's immutable, the way you would issue an update is just by putting out a brand new contract and telling people to use that one instead. Mm-hmm. It's really good or best practices that come into play here, but we've actually not seen a successful attack on Ethereum itself. Going forward, how do you think blockchain can be made even more feasible, more acceptable, more effective, just better in any way? What future types of changes do you think we might see there that are necessary? I think the most critical piece is going to be user experience. And we see that with most technology. So the first era of supply chain software, I like to joke, felt like it was developed for engineers by engineers. It was cumbersome. It was very challenging to use. People really didn't enjoy using it. It felt like a challenge. Well, now we've started to see that evolution to where people are taking usability standards. They want to make it feel like using Facebook at home. I mean, it it takes five minutes to learn. It's very quick and easy. And we think that that same evolution has to happen in blockchain, where it should be extremely easy to use. It should require minimal training. And in supply chain, it shouldn't require flying a trainer out from the company and spending $100,000 for two months of training. It's ridiculous. And the way we get more people on board and smaller companies, especially that can potentially even benefit the most from this technology is by making it much easier for them to use. So you're not saying you're you seem to be saying that the future of blockchain technology is here today as it exists. It's simply a question of getting it used to a greater degree. I mean, the current technology, no tweaks of any kind in the technology or the coding actually required. Right. Oh, there are plenty of underlying advancements that should happen, including in scalability of networks. But I think that adoption will drive those better than anything else. So as we're able to do it, it comes down to can we make it easy to use for the average participant in the network? And then we can start building on top of that because the easier we make it to use, it brings more interested parties in to build infrastructure out as well. So that way it kind of has that, I wouldn't say a catch-22 but it snowballs on itself. Well, one thing for sure, the coronavirus pandemic has shaken a lot of companies out of the status quo on a number of fronts, and maybe blockchain will be one of those, and maybe we'll see some greater acceptance and moving forward with blockchain in the supply chain in the very near future. But in the meantime, John Monarch of ShipChain, thank you so much for helping us understand just what blockchain is, first of all, and how it might apply to supply chain management going forward. Thanks very much for being with us today. Absolutely, and glad to be on, and thank you very much. And I'm happy to answer questions for anyone that wants to reach out to me as well. That was my conversation with John Monarch, talking about the state of blockchain for the supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.